Welcome along to another journey on the London Blogger podcast with me, Stu, where I take you on some of London's most famous and lesser-known walking routes to discover the capital's history and sights. If you'd like to read all my walks, they're available at www.londonvlogger.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. My walk today begins in the charming Waterloo Park in Highgate, takes me to the Highgate Cemetery and Highgate Wood, before heading to Alexandra Palace and concluding in Finsbury Park. I do love it when my walks start with a picturesque entrance, and Waterloo Park in Highgate provides just that, with a very welcoming park gate which says to me, come on in. The park's history dates back to the 16th century where the area was known for its affluent residents, many of whom built homes and fine gardens, some of which are now within Waterloo Park. One of the attractions to residents was that the air was cleaner than other parts of London. A walk through the park illustrates how peaceful it is, and that with every turn there's something of glorious greenery to see. You'll never struggle to find a spot to sit or to grab a photo in the park. Another one of the attractions of people moving to Highgate in the 16th century was the plentiful water supply from the park's three historic ponds, which are still fed by natural springs. I also think a park isn't complete without a pond or a lake. There's something very satisfying about hearing the trickling of water in a tranquil park setting. At the head of the park, and sitting grandly on top of the hill, is the Lauderdale House, which was the home of the Earl of Lauderdale in the 17th century. The house today is a delightful cafe where you can stop for a spot of tea or light lunch with a view overlooking the glorious grounds of the park. The garden area of the house is commonly noted as one of the very early examples of terraced gardens in Britain. It really doesn't feel like a park, more that you've wandered into someone's estate and garden. During the 17th century, there was a home within the park for the poet Andrew Marvell where a bronze plaque within the park dedicated to him stands. Another resident in the park was the prolific architect and park designer, Sir James Pennethorne, who unsurprisingly helped with the designing of some of the elements of the park. From 1856, English philanthropist and Liberal Party politician Sidney Waterlow lived within the park and soon acquired the neighbouring properties to create his very own mini-estate with Lauderdale House being let out as the homes for medical professionals. However, Sidney Waterlow didn't stay long at the estate, and it remained empty and derelict for a number of years, until he presented it to the London County Council in 1889, and it was termed as a garden for the gardenless. So if you didn't have a garden, you could enjoy it as your very own. The council named it after Sidney, and ensured that all the historic features within it remained. It's time to leave Waterloo Park, and as you head out of the park, you stroll past Highgate Cemetery. Established in 1839, the cemetery is split into the West and East Cemeteries, with approximately 170,000 people buried there, in and around the 53,000 graves. Spanning 15 hectares in size, the cemetery was acquired by the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust in 1975, with them acquiring the freehold to both the East and West Cemeteries by 1981. 
Some of the most notable people within the East Cemetery include the tomb of Karl Marx, the ashes of the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams, William Foyle, the co-founder of the bookstore Foyles, and Roger Lloyd Pack, the British actor. Within the West Cemetery, notable people buried there include Julius Beer, the owner of the UK newspaper The Observer, James Bunston Bunning, city architect to the City of London, Charles Cruft, the founder of Cruft's Dog Show, the parents, wife and brother of Charles Dickens, Lucian Freud, who was a painter, and the grandson of Sigmund Freud and the elder brother of Clement Freud, Bob Hoskins, the actor, the singer George Michael, and the actress Jean Simmons. Additionally, there are graves to 318 Commonwealth Service personnel, with 259 from the First World War and 59 from the Second. It's now time to move on to my next stop on today's walk, Highgate Wood. To do so, I take a walk up Swains Lane, take a right on South Grove before heading up Highgate High Street and Southwood Lane. While doing this and heading towards the wood, I get to walk through Highgate and experience what a pleasant air it is, with it having a real village feel about it, with cute little houses, village greens, and not a great deal of traffic, you sometimes forget you are still in London. Now this is one true hidden gem of London that I'm about to explore. Lying between East Finchley, Highgate Village, and Musewell Hill, Highgate Wood is a 28 hectare ancient woodland. Highgate Wood appears within the Ordnance Survey map of Middlesex in 1886, which illustrates the area's illustrious history. Predominantly in oak, hornbeam and hollywood, there are more than 50 tree and shrub species within the woodlands. The woods aren't just home to trees and plants, but 71 different species of bird have been recorded there, as well as foxes, grey squirrels, 7 species of bats, 180 species of moth, 12 species of butterfly and 80 species of spider. There have also been prehistoric flints found within the wood, with excavations found which indicated that pottery materials were produced from local materials between 50 to 100 AD. The wood hasn't always been well maintained though, or looked after, with the City of London corporations not being that sympathetic to its historical origins. After they acquired it, asphalt paths were laid out, ornamental trees planted, and deadwood removed and burned, with it being managed as more of an urban park than an ancient woodland. In 1968, the Conservation Committee of the London Natural History Society became concerned after the planting of exotic conifers, which was seen as inappropriate for an ancient woodland. Consequently, this type of planting programme was halted and hasn't been used since. Since then, the management of the woodland has been more considered with little human interference. It is listed as one of only eight green heritage sites in London and is a site of metropolitan importance for nature conservation. The Woodland is currently a registered charity managed and funded by the City of London. Walking through the Woodland, it does remind me of the children's rhyme A Teddy Bear's Picnic as it has that fairy tale and adventurous feel about it, something you'd find in a storybook. With loads of campfires and logs for sitting on across the park, it really is a wonderful place for children to explore and to be introduced to the wonders of nature. It is very easy to get lost within all the amazing trees 
And when you look up and across, all you can see is leaves and branches, something you don't get to enjoy that much every day. For as far as you can see, there's nothing but glorious woods, and every time you take a stroll around it, there's something new and enlightening. Having already discovered the breathtaking Russia Dock Woodland, Highgate Wood is certainly up there with it. The wood isn't just for trees and plants, but a walk to the end of it takes you to a large open green field used for football and cricket. As much as I'd love to spend all my day in the woodland, I'm now going to head off to a place which gives you a truly wonderful view of London, Alexandra Palace. To get there, I head down Onslow Gardens and take a right onto Cranley Gardens and then a left onto Park Road and up Alexandra Palace Way. Known as Ali Pali, the palace was designed by Owen Jones, John Johnson and Alfred Meeson and first opened in 1873 on Queen Victoria's 54th birthday. The spectacular celebration for the opening included concerts and fireworks. However, just 16 days later, a fire broke out in the palace, destroying the structure. It wasn't until two years later, in 1875, that the new Alexandra Palace was opened to the public, with it containing the new Henry Wills organ, one of the largest in Europe at the time. The palace also has the honour of having marksmen from the Alexandra Palace Rifle Society representing Great Britain in the 1908 Olympics, where they won gold, silver and bronze medals. During the First World War, the palace was used as a Belgian refugee camp and later as a German and Austrian intermediate camp. One of the most significant events occurred on the 2nd of November 1936, when the world's first regular high-definition public television broadcast took place from the BBC studios at Alexandra Palace. A blue plaque is present to commemorate this, and the TV mast is still there today. 1936 also saw the park become free for the public to use as a result of the 1900 Alexandra Park and Palace Act. During the Second World War, the palace was once again used for Belgian refugees, with the transmitter tower being used as a decoy for enemy aircrafts. The palace's grounds were the home to horse racing until the racecourse was closed in 1970. In 1980, for the second time, a fire broke out across the palace, burning a large part of the building. Substantial restoration began after the fire and it was reopened in 1988. The palace was recognised in 1996 as a building of special architectural and historic significance, with it receiving Grade 2 listing. The venue has hosted a wide range of events, including numerous concerts, Masters Snooker, the World Darts Championship, antiques fairs, beer festivals, award ceremonies, and a fireworks display every bonfire night. One of the most prominent aspects of the palace, and one that I thoroughly enjoyed the most, is the stunning view you get of the capital from it. It is such an awe-inspiring view across London of some of the most well-known landmarks, and great to experience them from another angle on my walks, having seen them from Hampstead Heath as well as Stave Hill. It always amazes me just how much you can see from just one area of the capital, and perfectly demonstrates 
but all of London's landmarks are in such close proximity to one another. Behind the palace is a pretty little lake and calf, so if you require a bit of downtime and relaxation, it is ideal for just that. I'm now going to begin a stroll to my final destination on this walk, Finsbury Park, by heading down the hills of Alexandra Palace. I'll take a stroll down Chadwell Lane and New River Avenue, then head on to Church Lane and down Rathcool Avenue. I'll then walk along Uplands Road and Oakfield Road and you're there. The walk takes you along the road past the houses and Finsbury Park Station until you get to the gates of the park. Opened in 1869, the 46-hectare park was designed by Frederick Manable. Based in Haringey, it was one of the first of the Great London Parks laid out in the Victorian era. The park was originally landscaped as a woodland area in the manor of Brownswood and a part of the woodland called the Hornsley Wood, which was cut back to be used for grazing land in the Middle Ages. In the 18th century, a tea room was opened where Londoners could enjoy the woodlands. These tea rooms were developed into larger buildings known as the Hornsley Wood House. The area was also home to boating, shooting and archery before the tavern was demolished in order to make the area into a park. Once the park opened, the pub across the park along the Seven Sisters Road called itself the Hornsley Wood Tavern after its original one. However, the tavern would close in 2007, with the area being developed. In the 19th century, Londoners began to demand more open green space, something which had become even more common in Paris. To counteract the increasingly urbanisation of London, in 1841, the people of Finsbury petitioned for a park to be developed to help eradicate the poor conditions in the city. The first plans for the park were drawn up in 1850, with its name originally being called Albert Park. However, it was renamed Finsbury Park and opened in 1869. The park played a role in both the First and Second World Wars, with it being the location for meetings in World War I and used as a military training ground and hosting anti-aircraft guns in World War II. Through the 1980s, the park went into decline when its owner, the Greater London Council, was wound up. Haringey Council took over the ownership of it. Luckily, in 2003, the park was awarded £5 million from the Heritage Lottery Fund, which helped with significant renovations to improve its facilities to enable the park we see today. The park is commonly known as the People's Park due to its strong community feel. Well, that's all for this week's Walk of the Capital, which has seen me take a trip through Highgate's parks and woodlands, the spectacular architecture and views of Alexandra Palace, and the fabulous Finsbury Park. If you have any memories of visiting any of the destinations on my walk, or want to share any memories or stories of London, get in touch with me at londonvlogger at gmail.com, or on social media, I'm at londonvlogger, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Well, thanks for joining me and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud 
where you can find all my other episodes and walks I've done. Until next time, stay safe and well, and I look forward to you joining me on my next walking adventure soon.